Welcome to the Liquid Church Podcast, a place where you can hear the timeless truth of God's Word in a way that's culturally relevant and cutting edge. You're tuning in for our series, All I Want for Christmas, where we flip the script. Instead of focusing on what we want for Christmas, we ask, what does God want from us? It's our hope this message will help you discover how God's story relates to your own and that you will leave feeling encouraged. Thanks for joining us today and enjoy the message. Pride comes before the fall. Pride comes before the fall. I I know the moment that I learned this lesson. It was actually quite recently, only a couple of weeks ago. In fact, I was flying back home to Texas to to go see my grandmother who's been ill for a while, which um, by the way, I want to say a huge thank you to all of you that reached out to to let me know that you're praying for for my granny. She's she's 97 years old and and seeing her sick has weighed heavy on my heart and your prayers have just been a constant encouragement to me and my family. Uh, And I feel so loved to be a part of this community and even more so I feel proud to be part of a house that still believes in the power of prayer. And so I want to give you a little bit of an update. I got to see her in the hospital when I was in Texas. And on the last day there, uh, she miraculously made a huge turn. Uh, in fact, she leaned over the side of her bed and, and whispered to me like she, like she had a secret to tell me. She said, I got to get out of this place because I got to make it to 100 years old. Uh, so I said back to her, I said, when you make it to 100, we're all flying in and throwing the biggest party ever. Uh, and sure enough, because of you and your prayers and our incredible God, God, Granny is out of the hospital and on the mend. And so cool to see that happening. And she also just so happens to keep bringing up what kind of cake she wants for her 100th birthday. So thank you, Liquid, for your love and for your prayers. Uh, but as I was on my way back to Texas, uh, my family and I, we, we fly all the time. So that was normal for us. But what was a little bit unique this time was that my wife, Casey, she, she couldn't make the trip with me. So I'm flying solo with my 14-month-old daughter, Winter. If you're keeping score, it's me, it's Winter, and it's my dog, Chloe, uh, because she travels everywhere with me. I'm her emotional support human. And uh, we're all working our way through Newark EWR Airport Security, one of the largest airports in the world. And I've got to say, we crushed it. All three of us made it through in record time. We picked the fastest lanes. We packed our bags perfectly. It was a thing of beauty. And my confidence at this point is skyrocketing. If we can make it through security at EWR, I've got this in the bag. I, I find our gate and get winter a snack and wait for the boarding calls. We make our way onto the plane where the last people to board. We make our way down the center aisle and winter is waving to every single person like she's the queen of England. So I join in as well. We're both celebrities on this flight, waving back and forth. Every person on the plane is commenting about how cute my baby is. We get closer to our seat. And I realize the Lord's favor is truly upon us because the center seat next to mine is the only empty seat on the entire flight. So we're going to stretch out and we're going to relax. The flight begins to taxi away in winter and I begin to have some of the most intimate peaceful, intentional daddy-daughter time together. Yes, we napped and snuggled the entire flight. And as we begin to make our final descent into Texas, I gently woke up and realized the people around me were talking about us. 
They said, what a great father. That's so sweet. He loves his daughter so much. One lady turned to the person next to her and said, I would never trust my husband to do that. They're praising my name, practically chanting it as I exit the airplane. And and for the briefest of moments, I might have thought to myself, I'm the greatest dad in the entire world. My new parent's smugness had reached all-time new heights, but remember, pride comes before the fall, doesn't it? And oh, what a fall it was. You see, somewhere between the bliss of our first flight and our second flight boarding, my perfect angel daughter turned on me. We made it to our second gate late. The attendants are frantically calling out my name over the intercom because our plane is waiting for us. Out of breath and a little disheveled, I'm able to to once again be on boarding at last. And winter waves at every person just like she has and just like royalty does, only this time because the whole plane has been waiting on us. There's not smiles and waves back. They're scowling at us. So I rush Winter through her red carpet moment, which she apparently took great offense to. I got us to our seat, but instead of an open center seat, I'm sharing half of my single paid seat with a larger gentleman. And I sit Winter down and I reached up, I started to place my bags in the overhead compartment. And in that three second exchange, somehow my daughter wiggled out of her seat and was sprinting full speed to the front of the plane. And she's so much smaller, more agile than me that by the time I caught her, we're both standing in the cockpit. I can hear the attendant over the intercom, sir, we need everyone to take their seats before the plane can depart. And so I quickly make my second walk of shame down the center aisle. Winter, once again, waving all along the way, scowls right back at us. We get buckled. The flight takes off and Winter loses it. She looks me right in the eyes and and she can't speak yet, but I could have sworn she said, dad, You're in big, big trouble because for the next 90 minutes, she screamed at my face without even taking a break to breathe. At one point in a full on meltdown, my 14 month angel balled up her fist as tight as she could and took a full swing at my face, connecting a left hook right into my nose. The first time in my entire life I've ever been punched and it was by a toddler. And as the plane came to a full stop, I began to walk off with a bloody nose, a screaming child, and a feeling of defeat that I still can't put words to. Gone were the praises, gone were the Dad of the Year awards. Instead, as I made my way to the exit, a sweet, well-meaning older lady came up and she put her arm around mine. She gave me a side hug and she said, it's okay, you did your best. (laughs) And then she said, women are just better suited for this kind of thing. And all I could think in that moment was, I'm never going to tell Casey about the second flight as long as I live. Pride always comes before the fall, doesn't it? We've been in this series leading up to Christmas called All I Want for Christmas. I don't know if you've noticed, but this season is so often about the list of what we want and what we desire. I guess we would love to see underneath our Christmas tree. But this year at Liquid, we're flipping the script and we're asking the question, What might God want from us this year? What does God want from us this year? Fortunately, he's he's told us through the prophet Micah, and it's, it's three simple things. Three things that God wants from us for Christmas this year. In Micah 6 or 8, Micah says, and what, what does the Lord require of you? Firstly, to act justly, that's one. To love mercy, that's two. And the third of all, to walk humbly with your God. 
And when Micah uh, originally penned these words 2,500 years ago, they were meant as a a warning to God's people. He was warning them that, that unless they made changes, a large fall was about to come their way due to their pride. Israel didn't know it at the time, but Assyria had become a huge global army and uh, they were going to amass this army for for the plans of global conquest. And Israel was this small strip of land running along the Mediterranean, separating Asia and Europe. And that strip of land was about to come into the sights of Assyria. And now more than ever, the people of God needed God to intervene on their behalf. And yet they were living their lives as if God didn't even exist. And that right there might just be the definition of pride. In Israel at the time, you had these business owners that had bought off the politicians so that policies could be enacted, not to, not to benefit the people, but rather to benefit their own bottom line. The priests, the, the pastors of the church, instead of fighting against these injustices, were instead lining their own pockets and abusing their religious authorities. All while this was happening, the poor were getting poor, the rich were just getting richer. Does any of that sound familiar to today? I believe these words from Micah apply now more than ever. And to make matters worse, the religious leaders, the the corrupt politicians, and the wealthy business owners would all meet up on Sunday together to play church, to sing their songs of praise, and to to worship God. While all those who had been unjustly treated watched on without any hope. And God sat there in that time, disgusted at the actions of his people, and he called on his prophet Micah to deliver a warning to let his people know that pride was about to lead to a major fall. I believe that this warning from 25 years ago today, God wants to speak over us again today as a church. I think our God wants to remind us that what he requires of us this Christmas is to walk humbly with him. So can we talk about our pride for a second? Because if we're honest with ourselves, it's something that we all struggle with. I'll, I'll prove it to you. Help me out here a little bit. Raise your hand. If, if you feel like um, you're an above average driver, type it in the chat. Raise your hand if you feel like you're above average driver. Uh, maybe not the best, maybe not the worst, just average. Okay, look around the room for, uh, for just a second. Uh, two things. One, nearly every hand in this room is up, which means that 100% of us think that we're above average drivers. I didn't know Jesus had, uh, had that kind of miraculous effect on his church. The second thing, and this is statistically proven, is that no one in New Jersey is a good driver. Um, so we're probably all prideful. Ooh, sorry about that one. Have you ever noticed that, that we tend to think we're better at things than we really are? Psychologists have a, have a name for this. It's called the illusory superiority effect. And even as I say those words, illusory superiority, you're thinking, well, that's not me. And that's exactly the point. The reason why I know this is because I too think I'm a great driver. And as I write in this sermon last week, I thought it was so sad to think about all the people that think that they're good drivers, but are actually bad drivers. And then Casey and I rented a fancy rental car this week. And it's so fancy that it has sensors and beeps that let you know when you're accidentally departing your lane. Uh, pause in the story. Fun fact about our marriage, for about the last decade, there's been this ongoing debate on the quality of my driving. And it's unfathomable to me that she could possibly call me a bad driver because like, has she seen her driving? I don't think so. I'm paused from the story. So we've got this fancy rental car and it is just beeping 
judgingly at me every single time I leave my lane. As we're driving down I-80, this thing is going off every five seconds. And with each beep and alert, I give a quick glance over to Casey. And she's sitting there making tally marks for statistical evidence of the fact that I might not be as good of a driver as I think that I am. Pride. I'll give you another example of this effect. 30,000 U.S. men were surveyed. And they were all asked the same question. Do you think you're a genius? And, and listen to this. This is crazy. Of 30,000 men, 46% said, well, if you're really going to make me say it and really, really want to know and put me on the spot here, then yes. Yes, I, I would say that I am, in fact, a genius. 46% of men. And statistically speaking, again, only one in 1,000 men are geniuses. So you could say it like this, that five out of 10 men believe they're one in a thousand. And if that doesn't describe the prideful ways that we see ourselves, I don't know what does. And all of these are, are funny and light examples until you start to realize how pervasive and, and harmful our pride is. C.S. Lewis says it like this, that, that through pride, the devil became the devil. That pride leads to every vice. It's the complete anti-God state of mind. And as I started to look at every single mistake, letdown, and, and bad decision in my life, they all started with pride. Every time I stepped out of God's best for my life and took things into my own hands, every immoral and wrong thing I've ever done has simply been the result of my pride. I was five years old in kindergarten. I saw Quarter sitting in the desk of, of my classmate. And to five-year-old Zach, I, I knew two things. First, I'd been to Sunday school, so I knew that God says, thou shalt not steal. But second, I also knew that a quarter made a gumball from the gumball machine at, resource, at recess. So, so I took that quarter because I felt like I deserved it more than my classmate, pride. Fast forward a couple months later, my, my parents told me not to eat the Cheetos before dinner because it would spoil my dinner. I knew God said, honor your father and mother, but I wanted the Cheetos, so I ate them. Pride. And then I had the audacity and maybe even stupidity to sit down at the dinner table with clear evidence of the crime on my fingertips, the Cheeto dust. And my mom asked, did you eat the Cheetos? And I knew that God said, thou shalt not lie, but I was ashamed of what I had done. So I told my mom, no, I would never do something like that. Pride. I'm only five years old and my pride has already led me to break half of the Ten Commandments. And here's what I've learned about myself. It's that same pride that never went away. In fact, as I got older, it grew right along with me. But what also grew were the consequences of my actions. The bigger the pride, the larger and the harder the fall. Fast forward to my 20s. I knew that God told us and told me to keep the Sabbath day holy. I knew that he had designed my body to spend time resting each week, but I had become so addicted to the praises of man, to people seeing me accomplish more and more. I became so addicted to success that I found myself working 70 hours week over week over week for an entire decade, essentially telling the God of creation that I knew myself better than him. Pride. And as I did so, the consequences just piled up came the cost of my, my family that never saw me, my wife that felt like she didn't even know me, and the friendships along the way that I burned because they just couldn't keep up with me. And as all pride does, it ended in a fall where my body physically shut down on me and all the exhaustion finally caught up to the point where for nearly six months, I didn't have the strength or the energy to get myself out of bed each morning. Pride goes before the fall and I found it always catches up to me. 
Can I get personal for a moment? What pride is God warning you about? Because the thing is, he loves each one of us so much. And he knows us all so well. In fact, he littered the scriptures with warning after warning about our pride. Proverbs 13 says that where there's strife, there's pride. Isaiah 2 says that God has a, a day of humbling in store for the prideful. Proverbs 11 warns that pride comes first, but then comes the disgrace. Jeremiah 50, the day of judging is coming for the arrogant. Proverbs 21, the proud and the arrogant person, mocker is their name. Liquid, the gift that God is asking from you this Christmas is for you to lay down your pride at his feet and walk humbly with him. That's all that he wants for Christmas. So can we commit to doing that as a church? But here's the question, how do we do that? Because saying it is, is one thing, but doing it is so much more difficult. Fortunately, I do have a secret weapon for you. If you guys can help me right here, uh, just, just kind of close your eyes with me. I'm going to help you grab hold of some humility in your life. So grab hold, close your eyes, and clench your fist really, really tight, tighter tighter. And then what you're going to do is you're going to repeat after me. You're going to say, be more humble. Try it out. Be more humble. But here's the thing. You got to say it like you really mean it. So clench tighter. Say it with some meaning. Be more humble. Be more humble. Okay. Open your eyes. Anyone else feel the humility coursing through their veins right now? None of us. Of course not. We know it doesn't work like that. Humility is not something that, that you just close your eyes and pray for. It's something you put on and you practice. Humility is something you put on and you practice. So can I give you two practices that God has used in, in my own life to help me walk humbly with him? Here's the first one. When you walk humbly, you'll give generously. When you walk humbly, you'll give generously. There's this test online that'll tell you how humble or prideful you are on a one to 10 scale. It's called the Narcissistic Entitled Subscale Test, N-E-S-T or NEST for short. Um, have any of you guys heard of this? Uh, if you want, you can Google it on your way home and take the test yourself, or even better, have your spouse take it for you as a guinea pig like I did. Um, because somehow this week, I was able to convince Casey to try it out for, you know, research for you guys. No alternative motives at, at all. So she finished the test, and, uh, and remember, this, uh, this tracks how prideful you are. So if you get a 1, you're, you're humble as can be. If you get a 10, you're essentially like a clinical narcissist. And Casey gets her score, and she brings the results over to me, uh, probably because she's nervous and uh, is a little sheepish, but she's nervous that I'm going to share them with thousands of our closest friends. Would you guys like to see her scores really quick? Okay, here it is, right here. Five out of 10. I know, scandalous. Right down the middle, just a little bit borderline prideful, aren't we, Casey? Um, so we've been talking about that in our house, um, 5.0 for the last few days. And uh, when I saw her test results, I was feeling pretty confident. If the baseline is five, I think I'll be just fine. I ran through the test and got the results sent over to me, and I was absolutely shocked. I was targeting for like a mid-threes. I didn't want Casey to feel too bad about herself. I'm humble like that, thinking about her. Um, so looking for the threes, but this is the result that I got instead. 6.9. 6.9. Uh, in exchange for her allowing me to share her score with you, Casey required me to have our team put together some more specific graphics for your viewing pleasure, just in case there's someone here who struggles with math. This is the difference between 5.0 and 6.9 on a scale. 
For anyone else out there that's continuing to keep score, yes, that means that I'm 138% more prideful than my wife. And you wouldn't believe this, but the number 138 has been thrown around quite a lot in our house this week. A lot of gloating has been going on, so... I don't know about that 5.0 score. And also, watch out, babe, because pride comes before the fall. But as I learned more about this narcissistic entitled subscale score and checked its accuracy, I started to read that there was one major predictor across the board for all test takers. Do you want to know what that predictor was? People's pride score was directly linked to the level of generosity in their life. Watch how this works. The more generous the individual, the more humble they scored on the test. The less generous, the more prideful they score. It was a direct predictor. Generosity leads to humility and vice versa. You could even say it like this. When you walk humbly, you'll give generously. And I think this makes sense on an intuitive level. When, when we give gifts or give up our time for someone else, we are saying that something or someone is more important than us, even if it's just for a brief moment. It's those moments of, of generosity that allow us to practice and, and put on humility. Paul, in, in Romans 12, he, he says it like this and echoes these, these same thoughts for us. He says, don't think of yourself too highly. Watch out for pride. Don't think of yourselves too highly. Think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. And then he goes on to say this, and watch how this works. He says, we all have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. And what, what Paul is saying is that when you are giving of yourself, it's really hard to think about yourself. I'll say that again, when you are giving of yourself, it's hard to think about yourself. So he's saying, so stop thinking of yourself so highly and start focusing on how you can be used as a gift for someone else. You see, generosity unlocks humility in our life because it's the practice of putting others first. That's the reason behind Jesus is saying that it's more blessed to give than to receive. It's also what I feel like is so incredible about the Christmas season. See, Christmas is it's primarily about two things. The first one, the most important one, is the birth of Jesus, which, by the way, we're going to celebrate with the biggest party you've ever seen next weekend on Friday and Saturday at all of our locations and online. And we can't wait to see you there and to celebrate together. But the other thing that Christmas is all about is this idea of giving to others. It's one of the few times a year that we all collectively as a culture practice generosity towards the people that we love most. We shift the focus off of ourselves and we put it onto others. It's a time to practice and to put on humility by thinking of someone else first. But can I, can I give you a little bit of warning? If, if we're not careful and if we're not paying attention we can easily get robbed of, of those moments this Christmas and we'll ever so slightly shift the focus back to ourselves. I'll tell you what it looks like. For me, it, it looks like the Christmas list, the list of names that I have to shop for. Literally, all the names on this list are someone else's names. I wish I could put my own name on the list, but Casey won't let me buy my own gifts. So already, I'm doing pretty good because it's all about someone else. I'm practicing generosity by buying gifts for others, not thinking about myself and what I want. But watch what happens, at least for me, this, this slight shift back to self. I walk into the store and I, I start to think, 
Well, will so-and-so like this gift that I'm getting them? What will they think about me if they don't like this gift? And then, because I'm taking so long, I start to... I start to worry and stress and it just starts to build up and then I get really indecisive and then I end up losing track of time and I realize I'm late and I only have time to get gifts for all the names on my list. And then I start thinking about all the stuff that I have to get done and how I'm late for all of that stuff. The stuff of work that I have to do before vacation. Do I have enough time to finish it all? Uh, I start to think about the family that's coming in town, the relationships with the family that's coming in town. Do I like them? Do they like me? Do I care one way or the other? And then I'm just spiraling and thinking and stressing about all the stuff on my my plate and how little time I have. And so by that point, I'm just buying whatever's left and closest to me on the target clearance shelf because I'm out of time and honestly out of energy to even think about anyone but myself. Anyone else's Christmas ever felt like that? Just rushing to Amazon, hoping some random gift will make it in time before Christmas hits. Somehow we can find a way to even make Christmas about ourselves. And we're so good at shifting the focus back to self, even, even in seasons that are about others. So can I just, can I give you a warning? Stop it. Slow down. And take a moment to remember that Christmas is about the birth of our king. And it's about giving of ourselves to others. Christmas is built into our yearly rhythm so that we can put on and we can practice humility. So this year, let's make a commitment together that we're not going to let distractions, we're not going to let ourselves get in the way of walking humbly with our God. Are you with me? Good. So the first practice is to, to give generously. The second practice I've learned is we need to gravitate towards gratitude. So when you walk humbly, you'll, you'll gravitate towards gratitude. The scriptures circle back over and over again to all the things that we have to be grateful. James 1.17 says it like this. He tells us that every good, everything good, every perfect and good gift is from above. It's coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. And, and what he's saying is that every good, every positive, every beautiful thing in our life is not the product of ourselves, but it's rather just simply a gift and a blessing from God. Yet watch what we do with these, with these gifts. We immediately begin to assume that that we earn them. There's this idea in our culture of, of rugged individualism that if we work hard enough, we can make something of ourselves. We have the power to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. But what the scriptures are saying is that everything that we have belongs to, to God. Everything we've done and accomplished is simply his gifts and his blessings towards us. Yet as soon as we have those things in our hands, we grab hold of them tightly as if they've always been ours from the very beginning. David reminds us with these words from Psalm 16 too. He says, I say to you, you are the Lord. And apart from me, I have no good thing. And what David is saying is that all of these things belong to God. And when we recognize that, we realize that we've benefited from someone else. And what gratitude does is it puts the glory in the right place. We can't. And we can choose to walk through every day and say, wow, look at all the things that I've built. Imagine all that I can do and all that I have done. Or we can choose the path of humility and we can walk through life saying, wow, God has done some remarkable things. I don't deserve any of these things, yet his mercies are new every single morning. And the perspective and the, the practice of gratitude, doing that every day, it puts God on the throne, not ourselves. Gratitude is practicing and it's putting on humility. I know the moment that I, uh, that I learned this lesson the hard way, and maybe some of you can relate to this. 
Um, many of you don't know this, but Casey and I, for the last eight years, have, have run Airbnb properties in South Florida and Southern California. And we've been so blessed that this business has been able to provide for our family. And March of 2020, I'll never forget, we're sitting in the Atlanta airport after being unplugged in the mountains for several days. We were trying to get back home, a bit unaware of the franticness that was going on in the world around us. As we sat down at our gate, we looked up at the TV and began to watch the news unfold in front of us. We started to see the long list of closures of cities and airports and the rest of the entire world started to issue lockdown orders. We made it out of one of the very last flights out of Atlanta, one of the last few that hadn't been grounded and we got ourselves back home. And like all of us, Casey and I had no clue what the next few days and weeks and months would hold for us. We didn't know at the time that all travel around the world would ultimately shut down. We didn't know that stay-at-home orders would be issued across the United States. We didn't know that Airbnb would go on to refund and release every single reservation that we held at the time. And in a matter of days, our business went from a cash-flowing asset to a massive overhead being paid out of pocket by what savings we had left. Believe it or not, coronavirus travel bans are really bad for the vacation rental business. <laughs> And for the next four months, I watched a decade worth of work be dismantled day by day by a microscopic virus that none of us could see and that none of us fully understood at the time. And in that moment, I had every opportunity to choose gratitude. I could have said all of these things from the very beginning belong to God. I could have said my God is going to provide for my every need according to his riches. I could have said you are the Lord and apart from you I have nothing. And so I'm blessed just to have you, but instead... I did everything I could to take back control into my own hands. With a pit in my stomach, I checked the bank account every single day, watching every penny I had earned wither away. The thought kept crossing my mind over and over again. I kept thinking, man, I worked so hard for this business over the last decade. How am I going to recover? I sacrificed so much for this. I remember thinking over and over again, how am I going to provide for my family? And somewhere along the way, my pride had stepped in and I had forgotten that every good gift comes from the Father. And here's what happens. When you leave gratitude out of your life, everything begins to rise and fall on your shoulders. If it's all because of me and up to me, then it's all on me. About midway through the summer of 2020, Casey and I sat down on the couch together. By that point, I turned into a shell of myself. I hadn't been sleeping. I'd been working through the night, trying to come up with potential ways to fix things. I was exhausted. I was about to fall over. The weight was crushing me. My pride was crushing me. It caught up, and I was falling hard. And in that moment, she, she gave me the greatest gift I could possibly imagine. She sat down, and she grabbed her hands and my hands together, and she said, we don't need anything else. Even if everything else with the business is taken, we have so much to be grateful for. We have each other and God is always taking care of us. And then she began to list out one after the another, every blessing that we had in our life, everything that we had to be thankful for. The gift that she gave me in that moment was gratitude. So I have a question for you, Liquid. What do you have to be grateful for? Your family? friends, your health, your marriage, your kids, your church, your job, 
the, the fact that you're here, that you're living, that you're, that you're breathing. These are all gifts from your Father above. And when we recognize that, when we recognize how big, how powerful, how caring our God is, when we respond with gratitude, it allows us to get smaller and him to be greater in our lives. Another way of saying is that when you walk humbly, you'll gravitate towards gratitude. So if you're following along, we want to walk humbly with our God. It's two steps. The first one is to give generously. The second one is to gravitate towards gratitude. And if we can do these things, we can unlock a promise from our God. He actually has a gift to give you in return. James 4, 6, God resists the proud. But check this out. He gives grace to the humble. And when James says that, that, that God is resisting the proud, it's not that he's somehow keeping us all at arm's length away from him because he's, he's mad at us. What he's saying that God isn't going to force you to take hold of something that you don't want. We can hold on to our pride and we can keep it as our prize. Or we can humbly open up what we have and give it to God. Have you noticed that the practices of generosity and gratitude both require an open hand? Because it's when we open our hands to God that he can lift us up. You could even say it like this, when you walk humbly, you'll gain grace. When you walk humbly, you'll gain grace. If pride comes before the fall, then God's grace is unmerited. Favor and friendship rest on the humble. In fact, it turns out that 2020 became one of the biggest gifts and greatest gifts that God has ever given me. Kicking and screaming, he ripped the business out of my hand. But there was freedom in knowing and realizing that it was never mine to begin with. And that changed everything. We still watched our life savings go back to zero. Um, we started the conversations of which properties we were going to sell and what parts of our business we were going to liquidate. And as painful as those moments were, Casey and I made the commitment to move into the next season with open hands and to allow God to remain in control. Right in the middle of, uh, of one of those conversations, we had the news on in the background we watched as a certain Florida governor got behind the podium and declared against all odds that Florida was officially open for business months ahead of every other state. And as bad as being in the vacation rental business was in the middle of a pandemic, it was a very, very good place to be when you're located in the only state in the U.S. where people could even go to vacation. So within days, our reservation calendars were packed full of all of these out-of-town, unexpected guests. And so in the spirit of gratitude today, I do need to give a public thanks to the great state of New Jersey for single-handedly keeping our business afloat. We couldn't have done it without you guys, so thank you for visiting Florida and staying with us. But on a serious note, God in his graciousness took the business away from me to save me from myself. And then he handed me back something so much better. Something that could only be from him, his grace. He gave me his unmerited favor and friendship. There's something about relying on God that teaches us how to humbly walk with our God. And as God gave me that gift, he also went above and beyond. In fact, in just the last two years, our, our business has grown 10 times over. So if you're a math whiz, what took me a decade to build on my own got multiplied by a factor of 10 in just two short years with God being in control. And if that isn't God's grace, I don't know what is. And here's the thing. He didn't have to do that. He probably isn't always going to do that. I didn't deserve him doing that for me because every day I breathe, every moment that I have is just a gift from him all in and of itself. But you better believe I'm eternally grateful for a God that lifts us up.
Liquid Church, what does your God require of you? It's three things. Do justice, love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. That's all he wants for Christmas. So this week, we're going to pursue generosity and gratitude. And as we do so, he will lift us up. He'll give us grace. And what better gift could we possibly ask for this Christmas? Merry Christmas, Liquid. Let me pray for you. Lord, thank you so much that even though we are prideful and we walk away from you and we run away from you, um, that you will still chase after us, that you still give us second chances. We pray this week that we would step humbly with you, that we would walk humbly with you, that we would practice generosity, that we would practice gratitude and recognize that you are on the throne and we are not. We lift all of those things up to you and we pray that that would be our gift to you this Christmas, to walk humbly with you. And Lord, in return, please give us grace. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. Coming up this December, we invite you to celebrate Christmas Eve with Liquid Church. We are excited to host services on December 23rd and 24th this year with options to celebrate with us on-site across New Jersey and online. To learn more about our Christmas Eve services, check out liquidchurch.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share it with your friends. Thanks again for listening. Have a great day.